Well, friends, you know it's a different morning when, when uh, Scott's wearing a tie and Roger's not. <laughs> I want to introduce to you where we're headed for the next few weeks. We're going to spend some time exploring what it means to breathe out. That metaphor that Pastor Greg brought to us, that the people of God, that the church of God in the world is, is an organism. And it breathes in and it breathes out. It can't be healthy if it doesn't do both. We breathe in, we gather together, we have times in the Word, we have times in worship together to be filled. So that in fact we may exhale and breathe out into our world, for that is our purpose. That we would introduce the world the opportunity to encounter Jesus. And be changed and reconciled with their creator. So over the next four weeks, we're going to visit this call upon us in a variety of ways. Ways that will touch us here and there. And it's going to culminate in a really unique event. I want to have you take your worship folder out again real quickly. One of those pounds of materials that fell out was this beautiful orange card. At the end of this, these four weeks together, we are going to together with Christian Assembly of Eagle Rock join together in a worship concert that we are praying will fill this building. You see, our two churches share two missionary families that have founded a a mission in northern Tanzania. And so we wanted to come together here while they work there to celebrate what God is doing and to invite the churches together to gather and worship. And did you see who's on this list? Many of you know Tommy Walker. Uh, His worship music has gone around the world the last 20 years. We, we, we sing some of it here, as a matter of fact. Our orchestra, our choir. If you don't know the name Ingrid Chun, she's with the L.A. Philharmonic. She's part of the Christian Assembly family. Friends, it's just going to be an exciting night. And we want you to be here as we breathe out together as two churches in one community, following God into our neighborhoods here and there. Well, with following Jesus in mind, I received... Well, I'm not sure if it's a, it was a painting or a cartoon and it's intention, but we'll, we'll take a look. Some, someone sent this to me recently. You know, words change with time, don't they? They, they evolve over time. And as they say, I'm, I'm not sure if, it was, if it's serious or if it's ironic. I, 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 I don't know. I can't get in Greg Olson's mind of what he was, he was thinking here. But the word follow has changed because of Twitter. Twitter, it's not like email. You can't decide to send it to anybody. You have to sign up to follow somebody. For instance, I want to know everything that John Sutton had for breakfast or is thinking. And so if he has a Twitter account, he might tell me what it is that is on his mind at any given time. So people follow celebrities and they follow athletes and maybe they even follow their pastors if they're on Twitter. But it's, it's been resurrected, you could say, this term of following, making a choice. So I began thinking about this idea of being a follower. And it got me wondering, what if Jesus appealed for followers in the same way that, that maybe we would today? So I went to the source of all truth, Google. And, and I entered in uh, looking, Jesus looking for followers. And unbelievably, I found this old digitized uh, artifact from the Jerusalem Gazette and, and, and take a look at this ad I found here where it actually shows Jesus in his day looking for disciples look at this so if you want to be one of his disciples good news is there's local openings to start that's nice potential 
postings throughout the empire. Got to like to travel. Okay, that works for me. Ideal candidate's going to be able to adjust to a variety of working conditions. All right. Um, we must be flexible regarding our work hours. Okay. Willing to work on the Sabbath. Ooh. That could be a deal breaker. Must be open to relocation. Enjoy the outdoor lifestyle. Okay. Take direction well. Yeah, it's going to rule some of us out, isn't it? Okay, let's get the bottom line. What's the compensation? You know, I wasn't too worried until I saw room and board had air quotes around it. It's not literal. I wonder what they define as room and board. But then I read, there's going to be a commission basis. That's good. And it's going to be a great commission. So I've worked on commission before in a previous life. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. This one's going to have a great commission. However, this commission is also heavily backloaded. I wonder what that means. Is that like maybe in their day they had a gold, golden halo? We would call it a golden parachute? I don't know. But Jesus didn't run a want ad, did he? In fact, the rabbis of Jesus' time, they wouldn't recruit followers. Followers would choose them. Followers would ask questions, what's in it for me? What do you got I want? Or what can you teach me? Or what can you show me that I would not otherwise know? It was in the followers decision. They chose which rabbis they were going to follow if they were going to follow any. And then here comes this rabbi from Nazareth up the road. And what a shock. Jesus decides to rewrite the conventions and the status quo of his day. He comes recruiting them. And we see in Mark a mini three-act play. Jesus defines this is what a follower is going to look like. So I want you to turn to the the passage. And I confess, I've not given us any slides on the screen with the passage. And the reason I've done that, I've been privileged to visit about 25 different nations. I don't know how many different cultural or people groups in those nations over the last 20 years. And friends, a lot of our family do not have Scripture yet in their heart language. Some of our family, it's illegal to own Scripture. I've worshipped with some of our family in villages where there is one person who can read, and so they're in charge of the Scripture, but nobody else has it. They memorize, they learn stories. And it always reminds me how much I take my owning Scripture in a, in a book for granted. And so, friends, today I'm going to ask you to encourage me to remember to bring my book with me on a regular basis to highlight it. Because when God speaks, I don't know when it's going to come. But when He speaks to you and to me, I want us to have a place to mark it down. So whether you use electronic Bible, BibleGateway.com right now, we'll take you there. Or whether you want to use one of those pew Bibles in front of you, I want you to invite you to turn to the book of Mark. And I want to encourage us to remember to bring our book with us. we got a great textbook. Let's take advantage of it. And friends, if you don't know where the book of Mark is, don't be afraid to use the table of contents. Why is it we use the table of contents in every other book in the world, but we're terrified as Christians to open our Bible and use the table of contents? It's a great tool. I highly recommend it. Well, in this passage, we meet some of the first followers of Jesus. Now, this description of a follower is not a casual one in Scripture. The frequent comment in the Gospels, right, is that the disciples follow Jesus. And friends, we need to, to hear that really literally. You see, when a rabbi during this time would travel through the country, you know one of the ways you could identify them as a rabbi was because literally they were followers. 
They could turn over their shoulder, and there they were. Because you literally followed the rabbi of your choice. You literally followed. These were followers, and not in a careless or casual way, nor is it a casually used term in the New Testament. What happens in this passage is, I said, like a three-act play. Let's look at it. Act 1, Mark 1, 16 and 17, and 19 and 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. 19 and the first part of 20. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. In these two sets of brothers, with their distinct fishing methods, we by implication also get a description of two distinct families. Peter and Andrew from the working class, James and John from the more upwardly mobile class, two sets of brothers, two different economic backgrounds, these men who would become the vanguard of the Christian movement. This calling together the unexpected family that would surround Jesus had begun. Pastor Greg remarked in his message about Moses recently that when we encounter God, it's always a disruptive event. I really like that. The disruptive event may be a burning bush or it may be this random rabbi out for a walk and when God comes calling. But we must expect it will be disruptive. Friends, our old life will be put at stake. Our old plans will be up for grabs. Our hopes and our dreams must be yielded in submission to Jesus's. That's what we see in Peter and Andrew, James and John's disruptive event. Act two of our three-act play, we see these two sets of brothers responding positively, don't we? Look at 18, the first part of 18, the first part of verse 20. At once they left their nets. And then in 20... They followed him. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Peter and Andrew, they were sort of in the shallow end of the pool, literally and metaphorically. They were on the shore fishing. Simple fishermen. They didn't have much to lay down, did they? Just their nets. Doesn't seem like much when you compare it to those who have more. But what they laid down was all they had. It was all they knew. It was who they are. They literally laid down their identity on that beach. It only seems like not much when we compare it to those who have more. James and John, they swam and fished literally in the deep end, for they had boats so they could move out into the Sea of Galilee. And we know they were at least the second generation of this business because they're working with their father. By now, because of their age, they may well have been the operators of this business, their, their version of the Galilean deadliest catch. James and John and their families clearly had a lot at stake when they decided they would beach their boat. Was it more than Peter and Andrew? Well, probably, if we tally up their wealth, their opportunities... But in reality, it was the same thing. 
They put up everything that their lives had been built around and organized around and everything they knew. In other words, the status quo would be no more. The status quo. You know what the status quo is? That's the place where safety lives. That's where the familiar lodges. That's where Scott is comfortable. But that's not where Jesus lived or lives, is it? He lived for the promise of a coming kingdom. He lived to do everything his father showed him to do, Scripture teaches us, and to live as one sent by that father. For Jesus, the status quo, that was just a boundary marker, never a destination. Never a destination. Act 3 It's as succinct as it is understated. Look at the back part of 18 and the back part of 20. It just says the exact same three words, and followed him. They followed him. But where? Toward what? Why? Maybe they'd heard of this Nazarene. Maybe they'd heard of his preaching where he took the scroll of Isaiah He read part of what we now today would call chapter 61 and declared his mission of proclaiming good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom to those unjustly imprisoned, bringing physical healing to the blind, the sick, and the lame, ending oppressive and unjust structures, proclaiming the year of God's jubilee and forgiveness. Maybe they heard that because it had happened shortly before this beach encounter when we read the book of Luke. Maybe they had, but we don't know. And Mark doesn't say. What we do know is they chose to follow Jesus into the unknown. They counted the cost they could know. And they followed in response. At the same time knowing, they could never count the things they did not yet know. They placed their trust in this man, Jesus. And they just chose the consequences that following him would have. Now, friends, there's a caveat to following. Because the Gospels also tell us it's possible to follow Jesus without truly being a follower of Jesus. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the strong words of Jesus in Matthew 25, where he declares some claim to be his followers, but there's no evidence of that fact in the way that he describes followship. We can always view this through the hard lens of Judas' life as well one who was clearly not a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Somehow he had withheld some part of his heart that God did not get access to. But we know the one who did, as eventually Satan would ultimately hijack his life. Judas had had a turning point. And then he had another turning point. And this second one led straight to betrayal. So here we are today. There are estimated a billion followers of Jesus on the earth today that started from the fruit of this vanguard two millennia ago. Their obedience, their responsiveness to lay aside the agenda, to move beyond their status quo. It's their willingness to sacrificially follow Jesus into that unknown that has brought us here today and changed everything. It was barely a hundred years after this beach scene that Justin Martyr, one of the first chroniclers of the Christian life, wrote 
about the early Christian movement. Listen to his words. We who once reveled in impurities, we now cling to purity. We who devoted ourselves to the arts of magic now consecrate ourselves to the good and unbegotten God. We who loved above all else the ways of acquiring riches and possessions now hand over to a community fund what we possess and we share it with every needy person. We who hated and killed one another would not share our hearth with those of a different tribe because of their different customs. Now, after the coming of Christ, we live together with them. (laughs) I think that makes them the first unexpected family. So next time you see Pastor Greg, you've got to tell him we're working on unexpected family 2.0. We've got to give credit where credit is due. On our day, the call remains the same. Hear Jesus. Lay aside our agendas. Have courage to move beyond the status quo and walk into the unknown in obedience with and to Him. Boy, that's an uncomfortable place. I recently finished a powerful book called The Whole in the Gospel. Maybe some others of you have read it. It's written by current president of World Vision, Rich Stearns. Picking up this call from across the centuries, he prophetically wrote this, and particularly appropriate as we follow up Holy Week. You and I are not meant to act like the pre-resurrection disciples, racked with fear, doubt, and timidity. We are post-resurrection disciples. The question for us is whether we are willing to make that commitment, to live and act differently, becoming this kind of disciple, one who is determined to be the gospel to the world around him, and that involves an intentional decision, Stearns writes. It won't just happen. I believe he's saying we have to beach our boat. He continues on. These intentional decisions require us to make a choice, change our behaviors in in deliberate ways. It cannot be business as usual, and it is not easy. We won't really become agents for Christ just by going to church every Sunday. We will have to make some on-purpose life choices, and then change our priorities and our behaviors. Only then can God transform us and use us to change the world. Do you find that's true? Is that what the followers of Jesus look like? Is that what we look like? Will the world recognize Jesus in us because we look like that? We are followers with different priorities different attitudes, different behaviors. Well, I want to shift us to a second three-act play. All the same elements that we just saw in Mark. But this play doesn't take place over there in the Galilee. It takes place here in Pasadena. It's a story of a little girl who is invited to a church by her neighbor friend. It's a story of a little girl hearing Jesus' call and saying yes to him. It's the story of a little girl from a non-Christian home growing up in faith here at Lake Avenue Church. The story of a little girl in junior high who said yes to Jesus in a whole different way and said, I'll follow you into the unknown, wherever that may be. And in her case, it turned out to be all the way across an ocean. Watch. I committed myself to missions as a 10th grader um, at a camp at Tokwitz Pines that the church had put on. 
the Lord called me to go to the Philippines, and I just uh, went, not knowing what was there. Um, uh, and I found these great kids, and I taught them, and I had more fun. I did more fun things being a missionary than I could have ever imagined. I uh, taught 7th and 8th grade. I taught everything from K through 8 in the Philippines to the children of Wycliffe Bible translators. Um, I was also the principal of the school for about 20 years. And then in the meantime, I spent two years in the rainforest of the Philippines with the Umarai Damagas teaching literacy. I've served with Wycliffe for about 42 years now, uh, mostly in the Philippines, the last few years doing mobilization work uh, here in, in the United States. I think what excites me most about uh, working in missions is, is watching the end result over the 42 years that I was in Wycliffe, uh, 50 or so translations were completed and watching the transformation of the lives of those people was just, it's just amazing. My dream for Lake as a missions, for missions going forward is that uh, we would really invest some time with our younger people, particularly the junior high level, and encourage them to think about missions as a part of their future and to uh, take it through junior high on through high school and college group, encouraging them all the way. Uh, as we had some really good encouragement in the past, I'd, I'd like to see that happening again. Dan, will you come join me? Did, did you hear the three-act play? Hear, respond, and walk into the unknown. Diane, when you think about 40 years and you've just retired from Wycliffe just recently in the last couple of months, what do you think about, what would you say to us at the end of this journey? I'd have to repeat again. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for sending <laughs> me. Um, thank you for your prayers and your financial support uh, for all that period of time. I did have fun. I mean, even the trip to the nearest town was more fun and cheaper than any Disneyland ride. <laughs> you know, working with kids who wanted to learn, how could you beat that? As a teacher, I loved it. Uh, experiencing the beginning of churches by watching the translations taking place. Now, there were kidnappings, there were deaths, and there were major health problems. But that intensified the joy of watching the churches grow. And besides those churches and those 50-plus New Testaments that were translated, I worked with children who are now serving the Lord in at least 13 different countries around the world. And six of those are right back in the Philippines teaching at Faith Academy. Wow. This is going to make Diane really uncomfortable because I know her really well. But friends, 40 years ago, this church, over 40 years ago, this church faithfully sent her out as her sending church. Right. Would you show some appreciation and thank mm -hmm. Diane for years of faithful service? I, I can't tell you how much fun it is to make humble servants of the king feel uncomfortable. <laughs>
I've got a final three-act play I want to share with you, and this one takes place a really long way from here. It takes place in a place called Tunis, Tunisia. A father comes to faith. He leads his family to faith. He leads his brother and his brother's family to faith, and they lead one other family to faith. This man was jailed three times uh, for his faith. He had the penchant to want to talk about Jesus too much at work regularly. He was reflecting on how Jesus was changing his life, and in turn, uh, the government kept putting him in prison. I had the privilege to visit this family late one night, about three years ago. We had changed cars twice to make sure we weren't followed, for indeed the people we were staying with were closely watched by government agents. There were three of us. Two of us looked mostly like me, and the other was one of our Lake family members who was born in that region. They hooded us so in, in sweatshirts so our faces wouldn't quite be so visible as we went to this place where it was really a stronghold, actually, for Muslim extremists. They told me that afterwards. <coughs> and I told my wife that way afterwards. <laughs> now, these folks, they don't get a lot of visitors um, from 8,000 miles away as we went into their apartment very late this night. And, they, and to have visitors is risky, but to have a pastor visit you is riskier. To have a pastor visit you in your home, that's just flat out crazy. This family knows more about rejecting the status quo than I will ever know in my entire life. See, families like this, they have so much to teach me and they have taught me so much and they have so much to teach us. Some of us in this church have come from places like this. You are our teachers about what it means to follow Jesus at high cost in high-risk places. This family had reached a turning point that led to Jesus, and they had not only beached their boat, they had burned it on the shore. This is life in the underground church in the Muslim world. For these three families, they are a church. Families who are growing in faith as they read their secretly hidden away Bible, as they watch television where they get trained how to do church. How do we do this thing we even call church? Well, they get it via satellite TV. They get coached. They get pastoral training. Children get Sunday school. They get children's programs, cartoons. These are people walking every day with Jesus into the unknown. They can't see very far, but they are going as far as they can see. These are our brothers and our sisters. And friends, they do not hold comfort or safety as an idol. One that much of us in the Western church wrestle with. But they cling to Jesus, the ones who they are following. The one who they are following. Well, it was late. We needed to go. It was almost near midnight. They kept all the kids up. And one of the men asked me, Pastor, would you please ask my son something about the Bible? He loves to read the Bible, my nine-year-old. I said, well, okay. And I felt on the spot. I said, God, give me wisdom. What should I ask? And God, by His grace, gave me wisdom. And instead of asking a pointed question, I asked a very general one. I said, Yusuf, what is your favorite Bible story? Now, did you hear me say he's a nine-year-old? So what's it going to be for a nine-year-old? Jonah? David and Goliath, you know, some action story, right? Noah, got to be. 
Yusuf starts telling me what his favorite Bible story is. And I look at him and he gets done. And I look at my translator who's not speaking. My translator is weeping and he cannot speak. And I wait. He finally pulls himself together and he looks over at me and he said, Scott, this is Yusuf's favorite Bible story. He says, I love the one where Jesus climbs up on the cross and says, I love you. Now, friends, I've got a lot of these and I've read the gospel in a lot of translations and none of my translations say Jesus climbs up on a cross and turns around and says, I love you. But on that day, late at night in that apartment, that nine-year-old gave me the best description of the gospel I have ever read or heard. Yusuf taught me that night. And now I was weeping that night. And I stand before you and all honestly and say, I look at the witness of the, from the book of Mark, of James and John and Peter and Andrew. I hear the story of Diane and I hear the voice of Yusuf and his three, those three families in that underground church. And I have to ask myself, am I really a follower of Jesus? Because their witness is different than mine. And I am sobered. Following Jesus is not about following the status quo. He came to turn the status quo upside down. Is that not what our world needs here and there? I want to conclude by asking us three not so simple questions. And they're drawn from the same three act plays that we saw played out in each of these stories. Because they're still being played out everywhere today. Jesus is still looking for followers. Inviting us to follow Him in a line wherever He would go into the unknown. Jesus is still inviting those followers to new obedience. To lay down our nets, to beach our boat. He's inviting us to walk by faith. Not because we can see, but because we can trust. This is the ancient calling upon us, friends. This is the ancient calling of God upon His people. And it remains His calling today. We must continue moving from our turning ports toward something. And that toward something is being sent followers of Jesus. Sent here into our schools and and our apartments, our neighborhoods. Sent, Sent into our Little League boardroom meetings. Sent into our businesses sent into our classrooms. And we must continue to be sent there. There, that place where a third of the population of the world still has no chance to know the story of Jesus. One third of the population tonight goes to bed again without hearing the story of Jesus in a way they can comprehend it. We are called to be sent ones here and there. So can I invite you briefly into the uncomfortable zone? I'm a pastor. That means I have a license to meddle. Come on up to my office. It's on the wall. I'll show it to you. For the next couple of minutes, I want you to decide whether you need to listen to God or speak to God. 
And I want you to consider the three questions that are on the screen. Where are you in your three-act play? Are you a follower? Have you yet to become a follower? This is a great day to begin this journey. We celebrate the resurrected Christ. Let's begin. Our season of Alpha has just started. And we have been praying that God would fill a hundred people. People who aren't sure what it means to follow. People who are just in early discovery of who this Jesus guy is. To sit around table and have conversation. Who is this Jesus? Or maybe you're already a follower. Well, can I ask you and meddle some more? Have you beached your boat? Have you yielded your agenda, your plans, your ideas? That's not age restrictive. I find I keep on having to beach my boat again. And frankly, I'm not usually very happy about it. Or maybe that does describe you. You've beached your boat, but you're just standing frozen in place next to it. Afraid of the unknown because the unknown is filled with risk. The status quo is what I know and it's where it's safe. But Jesus never said the status quo was our definition of destination. It is our definition of the starting place to move beyond. It's time to hear Yusuf's story reminding us that there's a world who needs to hear that Jesus climbed up on a cross, held his arms out and said, I love you. So where are you in this journey? I want you to take a couple minutes. Our worship team will come up after a minute or so and begin to bring us back. Listen to God. Speak to God.